Good morning, church. Today, we are wrapping up our series, Challenge Accepted, Following the Way of the Servant King. And as we've seen, our servant king, being Jesus, leads in a very different way than we would naturally default to. Um, So today, he gives us a challenge, and I would think there's a strong case that this is probably one of the most difficult challenges that we have in the Christian life. And so here it is. Today's challenge is forgiveness. Forgiveness. I mean, isn't forgiveness interesting? I'd guess everyone here in this room today is pro-forgiveness. We, uh, you know, we're all for it. If I say forgiveness, everyone goes, yay! Like, that's, that's awesome. We love forgiveness. There's no one here that's anti-forgiveness, but I would guess that we all would hold this view, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Isn't this the case? Forgiveness is a Sunday school lesson until it's my turn to forgive. I mean, why? Forgiveness is hard. Something was done to us, not to someone else, but to us. The scarring, the damage, the wounding, yet we're supposed supposed to forgive the person that caused all of that? How is that fair? Where's the justice? Shouldn't they feel the pain caused? As we'll see, Jesus has some poignant words for us on the subject that I think we all need reminding of this morning. Uh, but here's a, here's a quick challenge, though, on forgiveness. I would challenge all of you not to diagnose someone else or do the, the elbow amen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wives. Um, but do a self-audit this morning in terms of forgiveness. Because it's very easy to point out and say, hey, that person needs to hear that, this message. But this morning, let's, let's try to focus on where we can hear it. So let's get right into it. We're, again, we're in the Gospel, Matthew, starting, or chapter 18, starting verse 21. So if you could look there with me. And so last week, I don't know if you remember, they were talking about church discipline and, and how to carry that out and even how to forgive people within the church. But today it kind of expands our idea of forgiveness of not just people in the church, but friends, family, and, and those outside the church. And so Peter, after hearing this message about church discipline and uh, last week comes to Jesus and here's what it says then Peter come came up and said to him being Jesus Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times so this whole section starts with this seemingly um, honest question by Peter Peter comes up and he asks Jesus how many times do I have to forgive someone And see, Peter would have thought of himself as being overly generous with this question. In the the traditional Jewish custom of the day, you only had to forgive someone three times. They they thought the three strikes you're out rule was in. So Peter's coming to Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I'm more than doubling the Jewish tradition. I'm way better than these Pharisee guys. Jesus, isn't seven a good answer? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Verse 22. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So here Peter is going, I'm doubling the Jewish custom, and Jesus isn't impressed. Kind of like when I suggest a clothing budget to my wife. (laughs) 
Jesus says, no, no, no. Not 77 times, or in some translations, 70 times seven. It, it, that won't trip us up too much. It depends. I mean, it's, it's the same word. Kind of like if I said, hey, we're, we're going to have a regular meeting by month. We're going to have a regular by monthly meeting. Am I talking about twice a month or every other month or both? Or you, you see the point. It's the exact same word. And so, but what Jesus, his point is the same. Jesus is saying, stop counting. You're never going to forgive enough. You're never going to reach the strikeout number. Stop keeping track. You can't view people with just a scoreboard above their head with how many times that you've forgiven them. Aren't we excellent scorekeepers? We're really good at keeping score. I mean, let's even look at Peter's original question. Are we good at giving people seven times forgiveness? How about three? I would say we're probably good for maybe a one and a half, wouldn't you say? I mean, we just, we do not forgive very well. We are more kind of the eye for an eye mentality. Even when you look around here at church or within our own church, it's easier to condemn than forgive. I mean, there is, we live in this culture of, um, I mean, it's not an accident. We have more lawyers in the U.S. than any other country in the rest of the world. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> right? We just love to hold a grudge and we want to take it out on someone, especially the person that harmed us. I mean, nowadays, you don't even have to wait. You can go home and get your keyboard courage behind your computer and just blast whoever you wish. This is the culture that we live in and it easily seeps into our hearts. But... Jesus calls us to something more. Not more time, not giving forgiveness more times, but he calls us to something far greater. So the question that Jesus then continues to answer that we are looking at today is this. How are Jesus' followers called to forgive? How are those of us who call Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, how are we to forgive those around us, those that we come into contact with? And so Jesus continues to explain how we are to do this in a very classic Jesus fashion. He, ter he tells a parable, a story. And so let's look at it. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, just side note real quick. Whenever Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be like, our ears should just pop up because what he's saying is that's what heaven's going to be like. And if we listen to what he's saying, that means we get to, we, we could possibly have a small taste of it here today. And so whenever you see kingdom, what the heaven, kingdom of heaven may be like, think, oh, that's what we need to be shooting for. That is our target on the wall. Anyway, that one was for free. Therefore, verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. We'll, we'll stop right there. I mean, just imagine this scene. So that this king over his kingdom says, you know, I'm ready to, to settle all my debts, cash out, bring everyone who owes me anything before me and we'll settle up. 
This servant who owes 10,000 talents, one talent is equal to 20 years servant labor. So if you equate that, that is in the billions of dollars. This man never would have been able to repay this debt. This is 200,000 servant years, right? I mean, he couldn't repay it in hundreds of lifetimes, regardless this lifetime. And so imagine the weight uh, on this servant as he's walking in into this meeting with the king and he knows that the king is looking to settle up all payments. And as soon as it's shown that he's not able to pay, He's in bankruptcy. Collections process starts. And so in that day, the collections process was not just all the money you have in your bank account, not just your house, not just your car and all your possessions, but you. They're going to sell you into slavery. They're going to sell your spouse into slavery. They're going to sell your kids into slavery. And so this is inevitable. This is coming up. And he's just in desperation at the last minute. He gets on his knees before the king and says, please, I will do everything the rest of my life. I will pay you everything I owe you. And the king looks at him with, as it says, pity. He feels for him. And instead of just saying, yes, I will give you the time to repay the debt, what does he do? You know what? It's all forgiven. Let's keep going. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So immediately after this moment in which he's been given his life back, he goes and finds a friend he's loaned a hundred denarii, which is equivalent to about $10,000. So a significant sum of money, but nothing compared to the billions that he owed. And he doesn't even ask him for his money initially. It says that he starts to put, he puts his hands around his neck and starts choking him saying, pay me what you owe me. And his coworker who couldn't pay him, I'm sorry, I can't, give me more time. And instead of extending the forgiveness, the grace that he had just received, not even just saying, okay, I will give you more time, what does he do? He puts him in prison. Guess how much they pay in prison? Zero. This man will never be able to pay back his debt. All right, let's finish it up. Uh, verse 31. It says, When his fellow servants saw they had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him to, to him and said, You wicked servant. I forgave all that the debt because you pleaded with me and should you, not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, this is an incredibly powerful story. It's a sad one. This is, this is a tragedy but looking at it, how is Jesus calling us to forgive? So first, real quick, I think Jesus and Peter are talking about something that if you look in, in the psychology world, they put labels on forgiveness or different levels of forgiveness. And I think it will be helpful here. So the very first level of forgiveness is decisional forgiveness. It's that moment or the time where you mentally you go, you know, what? okay, I'm going to forgive you. 
But that's all it is. It's, it's a mental exercise. You, you can forgive someone the next day and see them and still all that pain, the emotional pain and damage is, is still there. And you might see them the next time, might forgive them again. Peter is saying, how many times do I have to do that? Do I have to say, I forgive you? And Jesus is calling us to the next level, which is much harder, emotional forgiveness. So there's decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness, which brings us to our first answer of how are Jesus followers called to forgive? So it's the first is like in verse 35, the words of Jesus from the heart. Forgiving from the heart is emotional forgiveness, not just to decide to forgive someone and suppress those feelings but to go the step further, to do the hard work, to take the time to truly forgive that person that has hurt you, to put in the work, to think of that situation not, and not feel the bitterness that naturally swells up. So I know we can forgive people this way because like it says in Romans 5.5, 5, God has put something else in our hearts, not the bitterness. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when you accepted Christ, when you became a follower of Christ, automatically God starts pouring his love into your heart. You are, you've gone from unchanged to changed. I mean, think of like the Grinch, right? He had a heart that was three sizes too small, right? And then what happens? It enlarges, even breaks, you know, in the cartoon version, it breaks that x-ray little thing that they, they put in front of it, right? That's exactly what happens to us. Our hearts were three sizes too small until we had Jesus. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, God pours his love into our hearts. So a very natural question, and one that we all have to wrestle with in terms of forgiveness, is this, how do we know when forgiveness is complete? How do you know when you've actually forgiven someone? Is there a time? I mean, does a buzzer go off? How, how do we know? I, I think this is very helpful. The, the theologian and Christian writer Thomas Watson, 300 years ago, tried to pen a definition of when we know we've forgiven someone. So here it is. I, I want to give it to you. It says, we've forgiven someone when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them. Grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. So, I mean, so it's when we are, when we are honestly, when we ask ourselves, have I forgiven them? Would I res resist revenge with that person? Would I not return the evil for evil? Would I wish well of them? Do, am I grieving at their calamities when things go wrong for them? Am I praying for their welfare like Jesus calls us to? Am I, am I seeking reconciliation as far as I can when, if anything is wrong of me? And lastly, will I come to their aid when they need it? If I can honestly say yes to all those things, then I think, yes, you have gotten to the place in which you have forgiven someone truly and completely from your heart. But this takes work, right? This isn't easy. It takes time. It takes effort. Jesus is calling us not just to, again, decide in the moment that we've forgiven, but to truly take the next step and go the distance in forgiving our brothers and sisters from our heart and our mind. So why don't we forgive? 
Why don't we forgive? It's, it's clear in Scripture. And I think all reasons, all excuses really can be boiled down to two. The first one. The first reason why we don't forgive is they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. They haven't apologized. They might still even be hurting me. They might be hurting others, right? Or the damage in which they've caused is far too great. And I am by no means saying that if you are in an abusive situation of some sort that you shouldn't find the help that you need, tell the people that you need to tell to remove yourself from that situation. But we still are called to forgive because we didn't deserve it, right? Christ died while we were all still sinners. So you're right. Those who we were to forgive probably don't deserve it, but neither did we. So first, they don't deserve it. The second one, it costs too much. It costs too much. And it absolutely costs too much. Forgiveness costs victims way too much. Why would someone who's been sexually abused have to deal with all the emotional and physical and personal trauma for years, if not the rest of their life, while their perpetrator just gets to walk away, never thinks of it again? Forgiveness is costly, but again, we have had the cost paid for us that was very costly. Christ came on a mission, not just just to forgive us, but to give us, to pay the ultimate price with his life. So we are called to forgive a costly cost. On October 2nd, 2006, many of you probably would remember a man dressed in black walked into a schoolhouse in Pennsylvania and tragically shot five Amish children and himself. And on August 3rd, what made headlines wasn't that this happened, because this happens far too frequently. It wasn't about making more laws on curbing gun violence. It was how the parents of the victims responded. Do you know the parents of of some of the children brought dinner to the parents of the gunmen the next day? There were more people from the Amish community in attendance at the gunman's memorial than his own friends and family. (laughs) Amazing. In that community, in the Amish community, the Christian idea of forgiveness and what Christ has done is deeply embedded and rooted. I would pray that if I am ever in a situation that's a fraction as difficult, I would be able to forgive. I would pray as South Shores, if we ever experience anything, even a remotely close that we would be able to do the same thing. Amen? I mean, talk about living out what you believe. What a response. So no matter the circumstance, we are called to forgive from the heart. And so I agree with this, but now I mean, you might be saying, how, how am I supposed to do this on my own? The answer is you can't. So the first answer was we are supposed to forgive from the heart. The second answer is that we are supposed to give forgiveness out of forgiveness given. We are to give forgiveness out of forgiveness given. So it's not something that we can conjure up or or manufacture or create. All forgiveness that we give out is something that has been given to us in abundance already. And I think there's three parts to this that we'll go over. First, we are to realize the forgiveness given. We're supposed to realize the forgiveness given. Stop trying to earn, it, earn your own way. It's, your debt is 
way too big. The chasm is far too wide. The weight is way too heavy. You cannot solve the sin yourself. And yet, we have a great forgiving father who offers us forgiveness. It's much like we are standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and we are just in awe with the magnitude of it. Kind of like in Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now just take a moment and think about what that verse means. That means as far as everything that has ever been created, there are galaxies between you and your sin as far as God is concerned. When he looks at all of us, when he looks at me, he doesn't look at this perverted-minded, raunchy sinner that we are, but a sinless son and daughter in which he welcomes openly and freely into his presence. We should have at least gotten one amen out of that. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is great news. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome news. So we have to realize our forgiveness Second, we are to revel in that forgiveness. It's not just enough just to see it and go, okay, great, that's, that's nice, move on. We are called to revel in our forgiveness, to celebrate the forgiveness that we are to receive, to, to think about it. I mean, if you look back at the servant who had just been given his life back, right? He had this monumentous debt that he had to be paid, and he was losing his, his life, his wife's life, his kids, all his possessions, And in a moment, everything was given. He wasn't just given more time. He was forgiven of everything. And what did he do the moment after? He didn't even take one moment to say, praise God. I mean, imagine this for a second, that if you were forgiven your mortgage, all your credit card debt, your student loans, your car loans, wouldn't you just take a moment and go, woo? (laughs) Right? We would, it would feel like you won the lottery. Like you'd go, you know what? Hey, the next round of Shirley Temples are on me. You know what I'm talking about? We would take a moment and celebrate it. And we're not supposed to just do that in the moment. We're supposed to do that every time we think about that forgiveness, to, to revel in that forgiveness. Today, tomorrow, the next day. I mean, we should feel those butterflies, kind of like when you're driving down the 405 and you almost get sideswiped. And where you kind of almost have that adrenaline rush and that shock of what could have just happened, but you're thankful it didn't. That's what we should feel every time we think about the forgiveness we're given. And so we are to revel in this forgiveness. I mean, when was the last time you just took a moment and just thought and prayed to God and praised him for the forgiveness he's given you? Maybe prayed through some of the hundreds of verses that the Bible talks about this. I mean, if you need one, start at John 3, 16 and 17. It distinctly talks about the forgiveness that he gives to us. When was the last time that you just sat down and talked to your friend, told him how, what being in his forgiveness is like and how freeing it is? Or maybe sharing that joy with your spouse or guiding your kids to, to see its beauty. To give forgiveness, we need to revel in that forgiveness given. And so first we need to realize the forgiveness given. We need to revel in the forgiveness given. And then lastly, we need to reciprocate that forgiveness given. We are to give it. We need to give like we've been given and generously. This is like we have been given the Niagara Falls of forgiveness. And then we're just passing it out cups at a time. 
We, we are to give it freely because we have been given abundantly. I mean, what is $10,000 when you've been given billions? It's nothing. And so Jesus is calling us to forgive, not even on the same scale like we've been forgiven. Something that's been greatly helpful to me in this area is the passage, 1 Timothy 1.15. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking, which, you know, we're all the same in Christ, but if there was a hierarchy of Christians, Jesus would be number one, obviously, but if there was a second, I'm guessing it was the Apostle Paul. Right? He had the Torah memorized. He knew the law. He lived by it. He was accelerating his ascent through all the priests. And then he came to Jesus. And he, you know, he did a few things. He only wrote about half the New Testament. So this is Paul. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So if Paul can say, I am the foremost of sinners, or in some translations, I am the chief of sinners, how should I view myself? This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. I mean, talk about a posture of humility that if when you walk in the room, you're thinking, you know what? I am the chief of sinners in this room. How much easier is it to give forgiveness to a much lesser chief? Right? I am the richest of forgiveness in this room. And if we take this posture, I mean, imagine how we would just, it would be so much easier to forgive those who've hurt us because we know we've hurt other people more. So to view yourself as the chief of sinners just puts you in this posture of humility that makes forgiveness so much easier. So what happens if we don't forgive? Well, first, let's look at what the text talks about. The text talks about kind of in the future, our Father, will he forgive us if we don't forgive others? And it's pretty clear that no, we are going to receive as much forgiveness as you duel out. And this isn't to scare you. This is more to encourage us that, you know what? If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, a distinctive mark is that we have the mark of forgiveness, that we will live lives of forgiveness. And this is littered all the way through the New Testament. This is not a one-time thing. This is, there are dozens of verses I could point to, but I mean, look at Matthew 6, right after the Lord's Prayer, starting verse 14, where it says, For if you, give others their, for, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So forgiveness has to be a distinctive mark for us. That means that you have Christ indwelling in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have God's love poured into your hearts and not just ooze forgiveness. And this is good news, but also a great way to check, you know, am I having God's love poured into me or am I pouring something else? Okay, so that's future. What about today? Does forgiveness determine anything that goes on in my heart and life today? Oh, you bet. I mean, if we don't forgive, we just become bitter. One of the, the best well-known quotes that if we don't forgive, uh, that I think kind of encaptures it, is this. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So let's just take a minute. I mean, that's like this last week going down over to the shed here at church. I could almost pick my poison. There's like a dozen of these in the shed. And as I, as I am thinking of 
my past and those who have hurt me, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to, to pump this. I'm just mulling on it and dwelling on it and thinking about it. And, and then, you know, I just get out a glass and I, I just start filling it up. Boy, they hurt me. They deserve it. How could they do that to me? Who would even do such a thing? And then before you know it, we got a full glass. And right in that moment, we just, we just start to take it. I wouldn't do that. That's just, this is a sermon analogy. <laughs> no, it's, it's more like, why did everyone else seem to have a happy home? I didn't. I thought dads were supposed to always be angry because, because mine was. It didn't matter if he'd been drinking or not. No one could do it right. I, I never want to see him again. We were best friends. We hung out all the time. We shared things that we had never shared with anyone. We were like family. We didn't live close to family, so we were each other's family. Until I got the diagnosis. I've been in and out of hospitals more than I can count. My life has never been the same since. And guess how many times my friend came to visit me? Once. For maybe like five minutes and they couldn't wait to leave. I've been more depressed in the last year than I have, ever have been in my entire life. How could they do this to me? <laughs> I thought it was happily ever after. This was a a till death do us part kind of situation. And then you go find intimacy somewhere else. I would have done anything. I would have given up my career. I would have moved. I would have gone to counseling. And then just like that, our our family is just blown up and and shred to pieces. But Jesus calls us to something more. Jesus doesn't want us to fill our lives with bitterness and resentment. He wants to fill us with love. Like it says in Ephesians, it says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, this is probably the, one of the hardest things that we are called to in the Christian life. This is not easy. Even if you fully agree with everything we're saying, you might leave here and go, how do I do that? I need, I need some tools. One of the best tools I was able to find and is, is highly researched and has found to be very successful um, was created by Dr. Everett Worthington. Uh, it's called reach, and I want to give it to you because if you if something if, if one of these things is popping out to you and you have a memory in which I just I can't seem to get around, I would strongly suggest you try this. And so it's it's an acronym. Reach. The R is for to recall the hurt. To quantify it, you can't forgive something that you don't fully remember. So how do you how do you recall the hurt? How do you do you have to name what you're forgiving? Second is to have empathy for the person that hurt you. We are to, to see it from their perspective. Why would they have done it? Because many hurt and insecure people hurt people. And so if they were pressed to give an honest answer of why they hurt you, what, what answer would they give? I mean, this, this is 
just like what Jesus is talking about, where we should be praying for our enemies. Because, I mean, it doesn't change God's perspective a whole lot. It changes more our perspective to have empathy and care for them. Third is altruistic gift, the act of giving forgiveness. And in this, you're going to need to remember how how to realize your forgiveness given, how to revel in your forgiveness given, how to then, you know, then to reciprocate your forgiveness given, to realize that the forgiveness you are giving is nothing compared to the forgiveness you've received. Fourth is to commit, to commit to this forgiveness. And how we do this, um, it suggests that you almost write yourself a contract that on such and such a date at this time, you are committing to forgive this person of this thing. And to even ask someone to hold you accountable of that. And write as many notes as you need to say, you know what? I'm not only going to forgive people up here, I'm going to forgive people right here. So when that memory comes up, it's a different emotion that comes up. Lastly is to hold the commitment. And that means that you take out that contract when you need to, when you need the reminding of that forgiveness that you've already given, when you need to call that person that's going to hold you accountable and say, hey, we need to go to lunch. And I just, I just need to, I might need to vent. You might need to put me back in line, but hold me to my commitment of forgiveness. And so as Christians, if, if we reach forgive, for, for forgiveness, you better bet forgiveness is going to be given because it's already been given generously and graciously. But if you are here this morning and you're going, you know what, I've tried all these different things. I, I've tried to think about the forgiveness I've received. You know what, this morning, I want to end our, our time this morning by praying over all of you. Because we all have different levels of hurt that we need to forgive, that we don't even realize. Maybe we've suppressed the feeling. And this morning, we just want to come to the foot of the cross and to say, help. Lord, I can't forgive. You can't either. But he can Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for South Shores Church. I thank you for this group of people. And as we try and attempt to live the Christian life, Lord, I pray that forgiveness will be a distinct mark upon us. I pray that we will allow you to fill our hearts with your love and resist filling it with bitterness. I pray that, that we will remember and we will revel and then we will reciprocate that forgiveness in which you've given us. Lord, help us because we can't on our own. This has to be done, something only through your power. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.